0: Welcome to Yahoo Finance. I'm Kristen Myers. Joining me now we have Valerie Jarrett, former senior advisor to President Barack Obama and author of the book Finding My Voice When the Perfect Plan Crumbles, The Adventure Begins. Valerie, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: My pleasure, Kristen. Good afternoon to you.
0: So I want to start off with the protests that we are seeing around the country. What are your thoughts been over the last couple of days and weeks as we've seen thousands of protesters taking to the streets and and calls for various initiatives around criminal justice and prison reform?
1: Well, it's about time. And and I'm old enough to remember the civil rights movement and with all of the momentum that was generated there, and, and obviously there was appreciable progress that we made. This feels different because we're seeing demonstrations in all 50 states, people of all races, Uh, backgrounds, ages, and that is incredibly positive. I also think that those demonstrations have yielded results right away. Just start with uh, Minnesota, where the attorney general there, Keith Ellison, took the case away from the local prosecutors, brought charges swiftly against all four of the police involved in George Floyd's death, up the charge against the principal officer involved. That's the kind of swiftness that I think people know resulted from the pressure We've seen cities around the country already ban the chokehold. States do the same. The federal government is looking at a bipartisan bill on police reform, something you would not have imagined six months ago. And so I think that those positive changes have actually encouraged protesters to continue this effort, recognizing that their pressure is yielding results. And then, of course, we've seen the business community respond as well. I was just watching the news and seeing that Starbucks has reversed their position on Black Lives Matter uh, t-shirts being worn by their their workers. We've seen philanthropic um, proposals by the business community. Uh, and I encourage the business community to also look at their own house and see if it's in order. Uh, what are they doing to promote not just diversity, but inclusion in their culture and in their practices? So there's a lot that can be done, and it feels... It feels different this time and you know i'm hesitant to say we've reached the turning point but i do think this is more than an inflection i do think it's the beginning of a turning point and the question will be can we sustain this effort over time
0: so i'm actually glad that you mentioned that because i was actually going to ask you if you felt optimistic that this is that moment um, for change Do you share that optimism when you're looking at Congress that something legislatively will be able to be done moving forward, especially with a president like President Trump, um, and the lack of unity between Republicans and Democrats in in terms of reaching across the aisle to work going forward?
1: Yes, well, I think it would send a very positive signal if Congress were to legislate on a national basis uh, some changes. But I also would remind you and your viewers that Most of the law enforcement agencies are at the local level. The federal law enforcement is relatively small. Now, what they could do is set some parameters pursuant to which local law enforcement would have to behave in order to get federal resources. I also think that the Justice Department, the federal Justice Department, could do more to both support reforms within local law enforcement um, agencies and also look at whether there are patterns and practices of discrimination as they did in the Justice Department that President Obama uh, during his administration. And if there are patterns and practices, then take those agencies to court, have a court order supervise how those reforms are done. So there are both carrots and sticks that could be provided at the federal level. But I also think that every city council should and mayor should be looking at how they allocate their resources. Is it done in a way, is it consistent with the values of the residents of those municipalities and the priorities that are set and they should be reviewing for example use of force president obama last week called on mayors around our country to review use of force with the residents of the community who are going to be directly affected by those uses of force and determine whether or not they have it right and are reforms necessary so there's a lot that can be done at the local level as well as carrot and stick from the federal government
0: So speaking on that local level, you know, there's been that growing call and that growing movement to essentially defund the police. And I know you don't support that move exactly. I'm wondering if you can just elaborate a little bit on why not.
1: Well, what I was saying, I think, is what we need. So it's not more or less money. It's money appropriately used. So, for example, I think we need more resources for recruitment and background checks. There should be a national register so that we could track police misconduct and so they aren't simply able to leave one municipality and go to another concrete example would be tamir rice 12 year old boy black boy who was shot and killed uh, in cleveland ohio the officer who killed him had been fired from the police force in independence ohio just a suburb of cleveland but there wasn't a system to check the background check so there i think we need more resources i think we need more resources in training both de-escalation and Looking at implicit biases, the police department we know is a microcosm of society, and so everybody has implicit biases. What are we doing to train officers? We give them; they take an oath to serve and protect. We give them a badge and a gun, and then we send them out. and Are we are we protecting them and preparing them for the work that we want them to do? Now, by the same token, Kristen, I would say we ask our police officers to do stuff that's way beyond their scope. And maybe what would be more appropriate is a social worker to show up on some of these calls, somebody who can help people who are homeless get to a shelter, people who have substance abuse problems get them into a treatment program, young folks who are not in school rather than expelling them and suspending them, let's get them back in school so that they're not going to get in trouble on the streets. And so therefore, maybe we would want to divert some resources to those functions, and so it's really. I, I hesitate to say more or less funding. It's really smart funding where the goals of the citizens are aligned with what the police do. But let's face it, if somebody breaks into your home, you're going to call 911. And we've seen what happened going back to the horrendous example. Um, that, well, there are so many examples of where people take law into their own hands, right? I was thinking about Trayvon Martin. I'm Again, people who decide they're on their own that they're gonna act as though they're law enforcement. Well, that's not acceptable either. So let's be smart about this. Let's be thoughtful about it. And let's engage with the community because what you really want is an integrity to the system so that the residents buy into it. You do not, you want a just system, not an unjust system. You want equity, uh, not discrimination. And so it's complicated, but it's also in a sense, there are roadmaps out there like the 21st Century Policing Task Force that was created under President Obama that has been continued under the umbrella of the leadership conference. These are the steps that make for a stronger bond of trust between police uh, and communities of color and everybody should go home safe. Police should go home safe to their families and certainly the residents who are expecting to be served and protected should go home safe as well.
0: So I want to kind of call up the example of what happened in Camden, New Jersey, where they actually decided to disband their police force entirely, and then essentially start from scratch, rehiring new officers, creating totally new protocols when it came to use of force. Is that an idea that you might support um, at some police departments across the country?
1: Yeah, I actually visited uh, Camden, New Jersey with President Obama when he was in office. We visited with their then police chief, who was a very creative, A progressive chief who was looking at community policing. He did implement community policing. He used he used technology in a way that helped him direct resources in the proper way. And I remember I met a police officer who he hired from the community, and she told us a story about. Look, I know who the people who are the troublemakers in my community because I grew up in this neighborhood. And so, uh, yes, I think he totally reformed and restructured it, but he didn't make it go away. And I think that's where the language gets touchy. We're not talking about getting rid of law enforcement we're trying to make sure that it is where there are systemic challenges that there are systemic solutions
0: so i know that you've been mentioning a little bit um what you guys were able to accomplish when president obama was the president uh, in terms of criminal justice reform but there are some people that have been critical saying that the president did not do enough what would you say in response to that criticism
1: well, look. I think we uh, had a very aggressive uh, agenda. Both of our attorneys general, Eric Holder and Laurel Lynch, were very supportive of moving forward criminal justice reform broadly. And and this, what we've been talking about, Kristen, the relationship between police and communities of color is just a small piece of the broader problem. We have we have five percent of the world's population and twenty-five percent of those who are incarcerated, and disproportionately people of color are incarcerated. And the system needs to be reformed at every step along the way. We need to reform the bail system so we're not incarcerating people who are poor. We need these patterns and practice investigations, which we did do, and I don't think anyone can complain about our efforts. Ferguson, for example, where Michael Brown was murdered, we found the police had a pattern of practice. My city, Chicago, same thing. Um, We need to look at the way that we are sentencing so that we can give judges discretion and we get rid of these mandatory minimum horrendously harsh sentences particularly for nonviolent drug offenders and we need to make sure that when people are released from prison that they can re-enter society find a job find housing and live law-abiding lives and so there's a a big arc to that effort and i will say We pushed hard Congress to reform the mandatory minimums for nonviolent drug offenders. And we had 80 votes, which again is unprecedented to see the Senate come up with that kind of a coalition. We had everyone from Coke Industries on the right to the ACLU on the left. One person, Mitch McConnell, over the objection of Chuck Grassley, who's the chairman of the Judiciary Committee, refused to bring it to a vote. So I think we could have gotten more done if we had simply been able to move the agenda forward. But the other thing that we did that was very important through our Justice Department is we offered resources to local law enforcement for training that we talked about earlier in this interview. And all of that pretty much was shut down when the new administration came in. So you know, look, we gave it our best. It was a high priority of President Obama and both of his attorneys general. And we were certainly on the way to making progress not as fast as anybody would want, but we were going in the right direction until until President Obama left office.
0: So I wanna switch gears and talk about President Trump uh, and some of the comments that he made just a couple of days ago he said that essentially he has done more for black Americans than any other president uh, I believe he said save Abraham Lincoln uh, pointing you know to unemployment figures uh, and some of the work that he's done in in terms of criminal justice reform what do you say in response to those comments or to anyone who argues that perhaps President Trump is great for black Americans well
1: just just look at the fact I mean it, it's a it's a ridiculous statement. Uh, the unemployment rate for the African-American community started coming down as a result of the steps that President Obama did to ride our economy back in 2009, and he cut the unemployment rate in half for the general population and the African-American community on his watch. And so, in a sense, President Trump has benefited from those steps that created the spur that got our got our economy going in the right direction. But I think if you look at his language, beginning with being one of the primary boosters of the birther movement, his comments in Charlottesville about there being good people on both sides, white supremacists and peaceful demonstrators, um, his rhetoric throughout his administration, and the fact that this COVID pandemic has laid bare the health disparities and economic disparities in the African-American community, which he has not closed. He was flat-footed on his reaction to the COVID-19 He did not take the steps that we gave him a roadmap to take when we left um left washington and the health disparities which are being which were intended to be addressed under the affordable care act he has been in court trying to repeal and so if you look at the economic indicators if you look at the health imperative if you look at the language that he uses the incendiary language that is intended to be a whistleblow to his base i can't imagine why He would think anyone would believe what he is saying, and if you look at the polling in terms of his standing in the African-American community, that speaks for itself as well.
0: Now, in your book, Finding My Voice, you wrote uh, that President Obama had, I'm going to quote here, the core decency to recognize that public service is not about him. It was about absorbing whatever pain was necessary in order to look out for the best interests of the people he had been elected to serve. Um, What are your thoughts, then, when you see President Trump deciding to hold a rally in in Tulsa, Oklahoma, the site of the Greenwood Massacre of, of, you know, many Black Americans? Um, Do you see the president's actions essentially as a slap? In the face and the, for the pain of African Americans?
1: Yes, that's a horrible affront to the African American community. His comments a couple of days ago about refusing to even consider the names of some of our military bases that are named after folks who uh, were Confederates who wanted to keep slavery. And just imagine what that's like for our many men and women, men and women um, and in service who are people of color who have to go into those bases and call it their home yet they know it's named after somebody who thought they should be a slave and so why are we honoring people who supported slavery in our country in 2020 why do we have statues commemorating generals who fought to on behalf of the confederacy you look at germany you don't have any monuments Hitler, you don't see the government putting swastikas up. That's not because they're ashamed of that part of their history, as well should we be. Those facts belong in the history books. We do not commemorate people who oppressed a huge portion of our country, um, particularly when you look at the military. So, yes, yes, all of the above, Kristen, is deeply and profoundly offensive to the African-American community. And look, we don't fall for false rhetoric. That's, I mean, my goodness, look at the results, look at the language, look at the way that we have been treated by this administration, and the attempt, in a sense, to go after a small portion of his base, to tap into the worst of us, as opposed to trying to focus on what we have in in common. Uh, I think, and, and the point I was trying to make in my book was a lesson I learned early working in local government in Chicago, where you're constituents are proximate. They're, like, right there in your face. They know where you live. They have your phone number. They come up to you in the grocery store. It's 24-7, and that's as it should be. And I learned that you have to earn the trust of the people you intend to lead, and that it can't be about you if you're a public servant. It has to be about them, and you have to put yourself aside. I mean, you remember in the midst of this pandemic when we're losing well over 100,000 people, and uh, we're during the time when they were having regular briefings, which I think should return, because everybody wants to know, as we're seeing in states ticking up of this virus, what are the, what's the response, what do the health experts tell us we should do? And President Trump is talking about how popular he is on social media, what, how many followers he has. I mean, nobody wants to hear about that when they're worried about their job, when they're worried about their health, their, themselves and their loved ones. And so I think that it's, profoundly disappointing, Um, and it's why I am so committed to helping Vice President Biden in any way I can become the next president of the United States. I think he's right. We do have to really restore the soul of our country.
0: So speaking about coronavirus, it exposed, you know, a lot of what black Americans and communities of color already knew that there was vast and structural inequities across the board when it comes to health care um, and other things. And now, of course, with George Floyd's death, as you're looking at it, as you're looking at it, as local municipalities consider their next steps, as Congress considers their next steps, what would you say to them needs to be their top priorities moving forward and how to get it done?
1: Well, we should really look at how we deliver health care in our country. There are, I think it's 14 states that haven't expanded the Medicaid expansion that was authorized under Affordable Care Act. We need to get those states to do that so that we capture a larger number of people who are uninsured. We need to make sure that our health care providers have the resources and equipment that they need. If we're going to have another wave in the fall, let's prepare for it now. We don't know when it's coming, but we know it probably is. So, you know, let's not be having governors competing against one another for precious resources. Let's have the federal government really manage that so that it goes to where the need is. It laid bare how our governors were forming regional organizations to decide how they would tackle it because there was a complete void from the federal government to doing just that. And We need to figure out how, when our economy comes back, it comes back for everybody, not just a few. And, you know, I would mention, I was just looking back over a statement that the business roundtable organization of the nearly 200 largest companies in our country put out last August, where they really fundamentally looked at their corporate purposes. And it used to be shareholder return. That was the primary purpose. And they broadened it to say that stakeholders should be a part of that analysis for corporations as well. The employer, employees, the suppliers, the customers, society. And so i think we have an opportunity here for the corporate community to say what are we doing to be a part of the solution to end racism and discriminatory practices what are we doing as we rebuild our economy to make sure it is rebuilt for everybody and the disparities that have been laid bare we try to close
0: so i have one last question with you valerie and i want to chat with you about your book Um, And I essentially ask you what readers can expect from you with these new additions about Trump era politics.
1: Well, I did add two new chapters to the end of my book because my paperback was finished a year later and it gave me a chance to look at our current climate with a little more context. And I tried to take a step back and look at it in the historical context of lessons I learned. So for example, I joined local government uh, because Mayor Harold Washington been re-elected mayor of Chicago. and He was a progressive inspirational leader. And he died just three months after I arrived. And the lesson I learned there is that when you have the baton, you have to make every single day count. It's all precious. And you, you because you never know when something sudden would happen. And in a sense, the heartbreak that that caused in Chicago, we're still repairing. And it isn't that we haven't had progressive mayors since then, but we put all of our eggs in the leadership basket. And I think we need to make sure that we are engaging citizens so that when we do have changes, there is enough pressure to keep that momentum going. And and I don't think that that happened when President Trump was elected. And we're seeing it now, we're seeing an enormous amount of activism and that pressure needs to keep up. In a sense, the midterm elections were a good example. And I mentioned this in the book of where people had a wake up call that elections do have consequences and and they they got out and voted and then The last part of my book is really about becoming a grandmom, a grandmom to an African-American, black and brown uh, grandson, and the challenges he's going to face growing up in this toxic climate, which gives me a heavy heart, and so it was really kind of what I wish for him and what I wish for his generation in terms of positive change, and I finished it before COVID-19 and before what we're seeing in terms of the uh, focus on uh, police misconduct and i'm hoping that he will grow up in a time where we have healed considerably from where we are now i'm glad he's just a baby and i i hope this is this era of um of the historical discrimination and racism that we've seen in our country makes a lot of progress by the time he comes of age i don't look forward to his parents having to give him the talk that every ever african american family currently has to give their sons and now their daughters
0: all right, Valerie Jarrett, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: You're welcome. Thanks a lot,